listening to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known at Gunner since at as Gunner since '96, and you join me at uh, a Sunday evening, a very special Sunday evening. Uh, this podcast was supposed to be recorded earlier on in the day, and thank God it was postponed. So thank you, Monty, for um, oversleeping because we we have. We are recording this podcast um, post City versus Spurs, and as you all know by now, um, Spurs have beaten City at Shite Hart Lane. Do you know what? I think I think it is. Um, it's only fair that we give them a, a tad bit of respect. So, yes, they beat City at White Hart Lane, and um, me and Shan were just talking off air. <laughs> about the circumstances in which we watched the game or lack of maybe uh, the first 15 or 20 minutes or so. Um, I was I was actually shopping whilst the game was happening. I was, I was hoping to get back in time to watch the game because you know, the big one and, and everything else that is being called. Um, unfortunately, yeah, we was still out shopping and um, I was just keeping track of it. And then very soon noticed that Kane had scored. And then I realized, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> they might just go and do it. Sham, how are you doing? Um, this is we're, we're meeting under very different circumstances compared to yesterday. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we'll, you know, analyze this game a little bit differently. But we find ourselves in the exact same position that we were in before yesterday's game. So tell me what kind of emotions are going through your body right now. I mean, first of all, um, no harm, no foul, I think is, um, is the, the headline for the weekend. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, still, still like somewhat mixed emotion, definitely like more on the positive side, but definitely more mixed emotions. Um, cause you know, there, there are some things from that Everton game that still need to be addressed, right? Yeah. You know, we're still we're still looking at Everton basically giving the world a blueprint as mm-hmm. to how to beat us. Now, as to whether people can effectively recreate that, that's a different matter. But, you know, Sean Dyche got out there and pretty clearly shut us down. Um, so that's something that, you know, Arteta and the boys have to figure out um, on the training ground, um, you know, in the film room and just determine how to avoid that in the future. But you know, on the positive side, Spurs did us a huge favor. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure um, which camp you fall into here, but I personally was very openly rooting for them. Yeah. And, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of people who, you know, they're not built that way. They can't do that. Spurs are always the enemy. But I think it it's the ultimate psychological warfare where Spurs need to get, to get a win and they they know they need the win, but they also know that there's the you know if they win, that's going to serve us as well. You know, so how how gut wrenching must it have been for Spurs fans to celebrate Harry Kane breaking the scoring record, surpassing Jimmy Greaves, and then at full time realizing that goal has probably taken Arsenal another step closer to winning the league, right? Mm. Um, you know that's. That's that's quite um, you know, pardon my French here, but that's that's quite a mind fuck for for Spurs fans. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah. You well, know, that's, that's always lovely. And also yeah. city don't look good. No, you know, yeah. um, they're, they're still the second best team in the league. Maybe Newcastle will have something to say about that, but you know, they, they look flat Rico Lewis. I think after having some, you know, pretty impressive starts to his city career, I think has been kind of figured out slightly defensively and has been kind of nullified. Um, Obviously, you have the situation with with Cancelo getting into kind of a spat with Guardiola and leaving. Apparently, Bernardo Silva was also about to leave during the window. City didn't add any players. KDB looks, you know, a little bit more inconsistent than he used to be. Holland is a non-factor if you don't get him the ball. Mm. And um, you know, they don't they don't have fast wingers like they used to. I think that's the big thing, yeah. right? They have they have Grealish and Mares, um, you know, on. Uh, on the wings, but they don't they don't have that pace anymore that can really destroy defenses. So, you know, their 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 tempo is a lot slower. Ederson's never been a um an error prone goalkeeper. I'll put it like that. And that back line is just very easy to get at. Obviously, you know, they're they're very skilled on the ball and they're very important to how City play. But you know, the likes of Akanji and Ake um, especially without John Stones, you know, I, I just think there's there's a bit of a liability there. So, yeah, a uh, lot lot going on, a lot for Arsenal to look at there and lick their lips as we approach our epic clash with them um, at the Emirates. But, mm. yeah, man, I think everyone just needs to breathe <laughs> after this weekend yeah, and yeah. just kind of realize that, you know, this is this is a title race. We've been there before. And and yeah, we'll probably we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit more, um, a, a little bit further down the line. But yeah, um, so yeah, I'm feeling good overall. Yeah, um, it's it's a really weird situation to kind of be in because the way that I see it is that, well, yesterday afternoon when we lost that game, um, I said to myself, I have to watch this game again because I need to fully understand what 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 exactly went wrong, um, and, and I you know to be fair to us I don't think much went wrong um I think it was more um there, I mean there was, there was there was a number of different factors for 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 what happened yesterday but I think le- we 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 had less to do um with the defeat than you know Everton had to do to win if that made sense completely fucked that sentence up um but obviously, you know, with, with with City losing, there are so many more sort of parallels to um, to point out and to to examine. Like, you know, I, I read a tweet out earlier before um, the game started. It was something like, um, you know, like what a time to be alive, Arsenal fans, um, not knowing to, when to, uh, Spurs fans not knowing whether to celebrate. If 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 they beat City, Arsenal fans not knowing whether to celebrate if Spurs win, um, and yeah, like poetic justice, you know, Harry Kane, um, basically a gooner in disguise, scoring the win it the, the winning goal, beating Jimmy Greaves' um, record, and I don't know, but I, don't, I I mean I don't think you were with us at the beginning of the season when we we recorded our one hundredth episode. Um, just before the season started and we gave our predictions um, and Andrew was was doing the show with us 
Um, actually, funnily enough, he's coming back midweek. So I think on Wednesday, we're going to be recording an episode with him. Um, so I'll pull up the clip then. But we were given all of our predictions. And um, I was saying how I, I, I have a feeling that City and Liverpool won't win it. I'm not sure who will, but City and Liverpool won't win it. Um, and this is exactly the reason why. So when I watched that game... I've, I noticed very quickly that number one, the makeup on the squad is, is, is evidently different, but there is a different kind of approach, mentality. Um, they look frustrated. And I think for a couple of reasons, the first one being is they've won, way, they've won way, way too many league titles. And I know that sounds stupid um, to, you know, a lot, a lot of the listeners right now who are probably asking, what are you talking about? Um, you know, footballers want to win trophies, but I've always had this approach with the elite game and I and I'll you know I maintain this stance and that is the game at the very high highest level is 90% confidence and 10% um what did I say mentality or 10% um motivation I think I think I think I think it is that I think 90% um confidence or yeah, 99, no, 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 89, <laughs> bear with me, I'm getting there, 89.1% um, confidence, 10% um, mentality, and 0.1% talent. And it's very, it's, it's a controversial thing to say, um, but just judging by what's happened in the last three, four seasons, the collapse of Liverpool, who had won everything, have basically got the same squad, bar one or two. City, on the other hand, have invested heavily, have lost one or two. Well, well, they've lost three or four, really. But the motivation isn't there. They don't look hungry to win the Premier League. It's We're yet to see whether it's the same in the Champions League. It's it's the Champions League or nothing, really. That's what it seems like, which is a shame because we want we want to win the Premier League in, you know, in, in, in style, in a way where we can look back and say, wow, what a season it was. I don't want to be handed it. And of course, there's still so many games to go. But that game was evidence enough to suggest that Manchester City are not Manchester City. Right now, they are way behind um, the qualities that we're reflecting on the pitch. Um, yes, we were beaten by Everton yesterday, but we put a hell of a shift in. You know, We played a really good game. It wasn't as if Everton were, you know, they're all over us. I mean, the approach of the game was they were very front-footed, high intensity, high pressing, overloading the midfield, uh, the, the, the midfield, and um, putting pressure on the centre backs, which really, you know, every team should be adopting in order to play um, at a very high level. You know, if you want to survive in the Premier League, that's the kind of football that you have to play. Um, and I think most teams know that, but very few teams will actually go out of their way to play that kind of football. Um, and so Deitch came in, he knows how to beat Arsenal because he's done it plenty of times. He adopted uh, a game plan. And then you also had the, the 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 new manager bounce effect. But then there was also the added pressure on the board with the protests happening as well. Very similar, actually, to um, the circumstances that we played them last season. If you remember back to last season, when we went to Goodison Park. There was a similar kind of um, walkout planned and, you know, a lot of pressure, again, on the club, um, a lot of kind of drama surrounding the 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 execs um, with the fans as well. And then they ended up beating us. Um, and of course, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Um, but it's just an extraordinary 
situation right now to look at. As an Arsenal fan, as a City fan, but as just a football fan, when everything's changing so dramatically, drastically every week. Um, but one thing has to be established right now, which is that Arsenal are clearly, by far, the best footballing side in the Premier League, um, based on what we've seen. And I don't think you can, I don't think there's much to argue um, with that kind of fact. Would you agree or how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, 20, 20 matches into the Premier League season, we're still top with a five-point lead. Um, second place has played a game more than we have. I think the numbers bear that out. So, I mean, obviously the underlyings, you know, it's, it's been a little bit since I've checked, but the underlying numbers normally have us second to City, maybe maybe third behind Newcastle in a couple of respects. But, you well, know, we're United, we're United are three matches. points behind them. Um, and United have lost a game more than them. Yep. So, yep. I mean, three points it's, behind United. I mean, that just, that's, that, that is the story there. I I think if we can just keep winning our matches, then it, it, it's similar to kind of what we were hoping for with Chelsea last season when they had a really weak end to to the to the season. Right, we were competing for that final Champions League spot, but then suddenly you kind of wondered for a couple of weeks maybe maybe this is three teams competing for two spots instead of two competing for one. Right, so if we just if we can keep winning our games, I think. City are going to continue to falter. And, you know, maybe United catch up to them. I think Newcastle can catch up to them. Um, Spurs, I think, are only six points behind as well at this point. So, you know, maybe Spurs even can catch up to them. And then it can just turn into a three, uh, four-way battle for second through fourth. And then, you know, we're... Not necessarily in the clear, but there's a little less pressure, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll 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 see what happens there, but yeah, I I think without a shadow of a doubt, right now we're the best team in the Premier League, and I just have a really really strong feeling at this point that we're gonna show that when City come to the Emirates on the fifteenth. Yeah, I yeah. think if they, I'll put it to you like this: if they play at the Emirates, the way they did today, we're going to win by at least three goals. Mm. You know, Spurs, there's a, there's several chances Spurs did not take. Son made some pretty ludicrous decisions, I think, in the final third today. Uh, Kane had one chance that he kind of scuffed and dragged wide. I think there was like, um, oh, there's another, there's another situation with Kane where he was basically, you know, in the six-yard box and just couldn't pop the ball over Emerson well enough, right? I don't think we messed those up to to that degree. I think we put a couple more of those in. So, you know, if if City want to play like that, that's mm. uh, that's more than welcome. But yeah, yeah, I, 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 mean, I think at this point, if you, uh, sorry, yeah, I, was, I was just gonna say, I don't think I don't think City are as naive as they they looked this evening against Spurs. I think they they, they took Spurs for granted. To be honest, they they thought what was gonna happen is. Um, you know, get through the first half, second half, they'll come alive. And you could see how high they were up in the pitch as well. Just like unbelievably naive to be playing that high up the pitch when you've got Kulisevsky, Son and Kane waiting on the edge for one ball to go over the top. And the amount of times that they were, you know, 2v2, 3v3, 
Um, they should have taken their advantages, their chances. You're right. Uh, and I'll go one step further than you to say that if they even start um, Rico Lewis, Ake, Akanji and Walker, um, they've lost. Because that back four alone are not ready. They're not ready to be playing at the level that City should be playing at. I'm very surprised that Diaz doesn't start. Very surprised that Laporte doesn't start. Um, and I'm very surprised that um, that they that that, that they uh, got rid of uh, Cancelo. I know obviously the situation of Cancelo and Guardiola is uh, unique, but th- that happened because <laughs> you know uh, he wasn't seeing the pitch. So I don't, I don't know. Like there's there's something going on at City that no one at the moment can really speak about. Whether you know it's taboo because it's Pep Guardiola and. You know, we don't want to be speaking too soon, but something seems to be going wrong in the dressing room. Um, when I look at Pep, I see a man, a defeated man. I see someone who is at the end of his tenure at City. So many quotes coming out about his love for Barcelona, about um, City being able to continue without him. And really strange, really, really strange. But what's even more strange is that his philosophies on the football pitch are not being replicated. Um, and when you look at the squad that was playing against Spurs, um, there is no excuse that they should they should be scoring goals. Um, they're, they're, the valuation of that squad on the pitch is about 500 mil-ish, I would say. Um, so it's really surprising that that type of squad. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be surprised because I mean, we saw what happened to Chelsea. Um, showed up against Fulham. There, was, there wasn't really much difference. Um, definitely not on the scoreline anyway. But I think gone are the days where you can get away with spending 150 mil on a player and expect him to, to, to carry the squad. I think we're, we're, we're approaching a different phase in the evolution of football whereby it's identity and style versus personality and individual brilliance. Um, you know, the, 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 the Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi era is slowly being phased out and we're seeing now um, this concept of almost like total football um, resurgence where the coaches are taking the limelight because we're, we're needing to... to there is a demand, isn't there, for um, identity on the pitch rather than drawing out individuals, drawing out superstars. Haaland is, is is a prime example of it because, and this is not, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from his individual brilliance and his monstrous, um, you know, goal scoring abilities and, and the, the number of goals that he scored already and goals that he will score going into the future. Um, but... He's the prime example that you can't build a squad around one guy and expect it to happen week in, week out. That's a massive risk and the risk that City have paid. Um, and now they're sort of seeing that maybe it wasn't the best approach. I look, I look at the final third of that um, pitch and I, I just don't, I just, I don't get it. You know, they, they played Haaland and Alvarez. I don't quite know what role Alvarez is supposed to play. I don't quite understand Haaland's role. I mean, is he supposed to be a fox in a box. Is he supposed to be lingering in and around the um, the D 
like what's he actually supposed to be doing so there seems to be a lot of confusion um but yeah Yeah. that's just kind of my observation on 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 man city at the minute yeah i guess he was trying to i guess he was supposed to be playing as a second striker of some sort but Mm. obviously they they weren't able to get the ball to uh to holland that way and which is you know that's why kevin de bruyne had to come on even though i suspect guardiola probably wanted to rest him but yeah, I mean, I mean, to your point, Holland kind of does fit the the Guardiola vibe, where it's he has very almost mechanical efficiency in front of goal. You know, there's there's not. But again, not it's so naive from from um, Guardiola. I, mean, I could have told you this at the beginning of the season. Give it ten to twelve games. Premier League clubs will understand how to isolate Holland out of the game, and then what do you do? Because it was a similar situation yesterday when where um, Deitch understood how to isolate the wingers. Just double down on them. If you have a five midfield out of position, your 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 wide um, midfielders are able to play as you know essentially second uh, number two fullbacks, and then that's it. You've isolated the, the the wingers, and then all you need to worry about is covering the space in the middle so that Arsenal can't play those balls that cut through the lines. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't buy this notion that you know um, Holland is supposed to be the poacher. is supposed to just you know play that mechanical role of just converting the ball ball into the back of the net. Because once you cut the supply off, then what? Then you have to rely on players like you know, Grealish, Mares, and um, um, De Bruyne, Gundogan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but he spent the whole of the whole summer designing this system for Haaland. Maybe I'm ta- maybe I'm being a little bit unfair, but from what I can see on the pitch, it just seems like they've put all their eggs in one basket. And every everything everywhere else on the pitch has suffered because of that. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's it reminds me a lot of what we dealt with with a bomb yang for a little while where you know he was he was there, he was kind of our main goal scorer and when he was on, he was on and he won us the FA Cup almost single-handedly but you know a lot of the time it was like having 10 players on the pitch and no matter how good someone is if they don't get the ball then they can't contribute it's it's really as simple as that and I think a lot of teams have figured that out and Holland isn't really the you know Holland Holland isn't like Jesus where if Jesus is shut out of a game for the first 30 minutes he's going to drop deep and pick up the ball and start playing some hero ball, right? And take on defenders and contribute to the link-up play. Holland doesn't do that. If you shut him out, then he's just going to try to make different runs. And he's going to try to, you know, muscle, out-muscle the, the center backs a little bit more, work out the angles, try something new in terms of, you know, how he can open up the angles for people to pass the ball to him. But he's not going to drop back. He's not going to pick up the ball and run at defenders with it you know, unless they're on a break. So it's, it's interesting to see what the, what the plan going forward is with him and whether they make adjustments and, you know, whether they try to figure out a way to overcome that, you know, I think pretty glaring weakness on their part, but Mm. yeah, we'll see. I mean, Saliba and Gabriel nullified Holland pretty, pretty straightforwardly the last time we played them. And um, I don't see why they can't do it again. Obviously, you know, we're, both teams are going to be 
studying each other like you know like they're back in like like they're back in the university but yeah it's it'll be really interesting city clearly have a couple pretty massive conundrums that they need to figure out if they do want to win the premier league and maybe even the champions league honestly Mm. yeah i mean like i said i'm gonna repeat again i do think they've put all the eggs in one basket i think this is champions league or bust um for guardiola be very interesting to see what happens to him and klopp as well by the way who i know we're supposed to be talking about arsenal we're discussing all of our rivals but um it's quite it's quite incredible isn't it the the drastic downfall that liverpool have uh are experiencing um and you know blessing in disguise for arsenal but that's not to take away from the genius of Mikel Arte and what he's been able to accomplish. Um, I did want to save the Man City chat until sort of like a preview, um, but we kind of, <laughs> we've kind of done it. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when we welcome them at the Emirates. And it, I think it's, it's worth mentioning that um, we're only going to have like two or three, well, three days of rest before we play them, uh, which is midweek on a Wednesday, February the 15th, day after Valentine's Day. Um, and then before that, we obviously play Brentford next Saturday, which is the 11th. So, again, that'll be an interesting factor to see who Arteta plays, um, what kind of system he goes for, and whether he's, he, he's got that one eye on, on the City game or whether he just needs to respond with the strongest starting lineup against Brentford. Um, but we can talk about that a little bit about that near the end. Let's cast our minds back about 30, maybe 28, 29 hours ago when. Um, we we you know we received the news and I'm sure we were all watching um, Arsenal losing to Everton. What is it about Goodison Park that we just we've we've we seem to have made it our second um, turf more almost. You know, there's something about that place that we just don't like. It's, I think it's it's it's, it's the Arteta curse because ever since he took over, well, the the, the the game before he took over or. Um, the first game he attended as quote unquote Arsenal manager was um, at Goodison Park, wasn't it? Jumberg's last game when we drew nil nil. Um, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't a great performance. And then after that, we just, we, we couldn't really um, do any better than that. So um, what were you expecting going into this one? So I, um, that, that, that changed. Based on uh, Lampard getting sacked before, I thought it was going to be pretty straightforward. I was hoping that he would hang on for a little bit more. But unfortunately, Frank Lampard might be one of the worst managers in the recent Premier League history. So, yeah, he, I I mean, you know, he, he kind of blew it with Chelsea and... Now, now with Everton, he you know seems to have taken a pretty good crop of players and forced them into a relegation battle. Um, I don't think they're getting relegated anymore. But when Dyche took over, I did get a little bit more worried. I don't really believe in the new manager bounce per se, but Dyche is, for all intents and all intents and purposes, the antithesis of the football that we want to play. Right? He. Did you did you see that video that he did? I did, yeah, yeah. It was during yeah his his master class. Mm. So he he basically kind of sat down and talked about his his coaching philosophy. I haven't watched all of it, but there was a clip that that was going around where he talks about something called defending the V, the V, right, yeah. mm-hmm. and and crunching and crunching the field. 
where he compresses his team defensively into a low block. And basically you draw a V out from the goal to the corners, uh, you know, to the, the further, the, the most forward corners of the penalty box. And then it's just straight lines up from that. And that area is the area where you do not let the ball into outside of that. You know, it's fine. He basically doesn't really care about the wingers as long as they're, they're marked, maybe even double marked, as long as they're kept external, then it's fine. But yeah, he talked about this, um, this philosophy of his and protecting the V and, you know, very, very much compressing the pitch and, you know, just nullifying um, teams that like to build up and basically making it so that they have to play inch perfect passes in order to, to, to score or even to just create chances. And so, you know, I think he's working with with a with a better crop of players at Everton than he is at Burnley. Obviously, there's a couple guys already there who who know how he works, right? With um, James Tarkowski and Dwight McNeil, I'm sure um, Onana was just a breath of fresh air for him. Pickford's an excellent shot stopper at the least, so he had a lot of he had a lot of good pieces to work with there, and so. I, I was just a little bit worried that Dyche would, would make it super hard for us. And, you know, I think there's this expectation that Arsenal will win every single game, no matter what, and they'll figure it out. I, I, wish, I wish that were true. But I think, you know, it's been five months since we lost a game before this. And I think that game was coming where someone would set up just to not even really not even really play us in good faith and would just shut up shop from the first minute make it really difficult for us to break them down and then you know get us on a set piece which happened here and yeah i don't know i i, I was nervous obviously i'm pretty optimistic going into most matches these days just because i do think we are one of the best sides in europe currently but there's always going to be one to three matches like that every single season where they're they're not going to engage you they're they're going to put 10 men behind the ball at the least they're going to kick you they're going to hope that the referee doesn't give yellow cards when they should be and you know they're just going to grind out a draw maybe get a lucky win stuff like that so i was worried this would be one of those games and sure enough it did pan out that way yeah i was the total opposite i expected three points um, I wasn't even looking at this game, which should be the first, I guess, warning sign when we're looking at the fixture list. Always focus on the games that you're not worried about. Um, and this was one of them. And in fact, Brentford seems to be another one where we're looking at thinking, right, let's bounce back. We're at home playing Brentford three points, but it's not going to be easy. And actually, if you remember back to the last episode we recorded, I do remember um, pointing out that the last time we we, we, we suffered a poor performance was following that emphatic Liverpool victory at the Emirates. Um, and then we went on to play, I believe it was Leeds, which still, in my opinion, stands as um, you know the hardest game. We, well, yeah, so we played Liverpool. We obviously then played Bodo Glimpse. We weren't very impressive there. And then we went away to Leeds and really, really lucky to get all three points. Then we drew to Southampton. Um, and then we bounce. We finally bounce back properly against Nottingham Forest. So I, I still think yeah. we're not out of the water just yet. I think the Brentford game is going to prove to be another really, really crucial game just to get things steady again because you know we're fluctuating a little bit, uh, and that fluctuation isn't down to the football. It's purely down to 
the world of football, which is, um, I don't know, there's this, there's this strange sort of energy that lingers after a moment like this. Um, and the only way to kind of get it steady, get everyone on the same, I guess, uh, radio, um, what do they call it, frequency, um, is to grind out three points somehow. Um, and, you know, I'd be very surprised if Arsenal play Brentford at the Emirates and blow them away. I expect this to be very cagey. And they've just, you know, they, I think they, 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 um, did they win yesterday? Brentford? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Brentford, I think, are unbeaten in nine as it stands. Yeah, so they, they beat but... Bournemouth. Um, no, they, it wasn't Bournemouth that they played. They, they beat um, Southampton 3 0 yesterday. And yep. where, where are they? Sixth? Fifth? No, sixth. Seventh. They're seventh. Um, they're seventh and they've only lost four games. So, you know, that's not going to be an easy game, but yeah, just uh, to, to, to quickly answer, um, I did expect Arsenal to get all three points despite having, you know, Sean Dyche. I thought it would take them a little bit longer to, um, ease his philosophy into the team because it was just rooted with so much negativity, but look, fair play to them. They, they, they got the job done. Uh, as, as far as starting lineups go, goes, um, pretty much expecting the same as you know what we what we used to see um would you agree with yeah. that yeah i mean i think at this at this point it's pretty established arteta doesn't like to or arteta likes to have a consistent lineup going where you know that builds up connections and understanding so mm. yeah i i know there was a bit of a doubt about party heading into the match but i think that was mostly just a little bit of gamesmanship ahead of the match which I'm starting to wonder if that's something that Arteta maybe has gotten from conversations with uh, other other coaches at various cronky sports franchises, such as you know Sean McVay at the Rams. Because mm. I don't see many other Premier League managers trying to stir the doubt around their player statuses the way that Mikel does. But yeah, aside from that, Pretty pretty straightforward. Maybe there was a question of whether Trossard would start at left wing over Martinelli. Mm. But as I'm sure we'll discuss later, I don't think that really changes anything unless you change who's at left back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, look, you know, I we, we were supposed to record this podcast yesterday and um, very quickly messaged me asking to postpone it because we needed to get our head wrapped um, around this kind of performance. I wanted to watch the game again and I did do earlier this morning. So um, I've got very detailed notes and very I've broken things down very systematically um, to find out what's happened. And, you know, initially when, when, I, when I first watched it yesterday, it looked like a case of Everton just being really, really good, well set up, um, being able to, you know, play in the right rhythm, play in the right, uh, you know, in the right in the right periods of the game, managing the game well, um, and overloading the right spaces in the pitch. But when I when I watched it again today, it was it quickly became very clear to me that uh, a number of players didn't turn up. Number one, for whatever reason, and number two, there was a little bit of hesitancy. There was a, like a split second of you know overthinking or holding the ball for just a tad bit longer than we're used to seeing. That that fluidity that we're so used to um, playing with just wasn't quite there for whatever reason um how do you assess the first opening kind of 10 15 20 minutes or when was the first moment you realized that uh oh um 
this isn't going to plan or this isn't what we're used to seeing? Maybe after the first 10 minutes, it just felt, it felt a little slow and it, it, it just felt like they very quickly not really got the upper hand per se, but they, they very quickly showed that they weren't going to get bullied. And I'm always kind of wary about that these days, right? They're, they're pressing high basically from the get-go. They, they're kicking us from, from the start of the match. And also, we just looked pretty slow. Obviously, the pitch was kind of a disaster, purposely so. I would, I would hazard a guess as to that. And, you know, so players are having a hard time adjusting to that. Passes were a little underplayed and, you know, we're losing the ball a little bit in midfields. Party did that several times. Xhaka did that. White did that. And, um, yeah, just just to see, you know, that 4-5-1 block from Everton, you know, from basically the first minute and the high-intensity pressure and us really get taken aback by that. You know, I knew that we were in for a hard match at that point. And, you know, all all um all hopes of, you know, an easy three nil Saturday morning win were kind of were kind of dashed pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it was fascinating to watch this um, kind of play out because the first opening 10 minutes for me was was really, really good from both sides. It seemed to be one of those very high intensive games where both teams were going at Arsenal, you know, knocking the ball around. But you could see very early on that Everton were not going to give us any space or time on the ball, especially with Onana. And um, there was also uh, Gay as well as Jacore, all three of them just instantly the moment we we were passing the ball around uh, rd yeah. they were just there um so it was incredibly difficult to pass it in around each other but eventually when we did because we're specialists at playing out from the back at this at this moment in time and um you know credit to arteta for continuing to develop that style the problem became the problem became quite obvious and um, clear to see when we had approached the kind of midfield area where usually what happens is part A will, you know, release a pass really quickly out wide or, um, you know, Odegaard will pick it up and play it short to, um, you know, someone in midfield who will uh, push it to, to either flanks. Uh, but it, it became it became quite clear very early on that that wasn't going to be an option because number one, we were, it was either losing the ball in the middle of the pitch which is the worst place to lose the ball and then you had Calvert-Lewin um you know sprinting with a counter-attacking break or you had Onana receiving the ball and then releasing it out wide um and that came from just pure sloppiness in the middle or it was not knowing exactly where to progress the ball because those flanks were being occupied by as you as you rightly said the five midfielders um, in a very nice, straight, attractive line as well. Um, and that's very mm -hmm. important because they, they're covering all shades of grass. So they've they've kind of cut all your supply lines. Arsenal, quite typically, we, 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 we're very good at progressing, attacking play, attacking goal-scoring opportunities because we have a number of different routes. We either go right, left or down the middle, which is brilliant. But the one thing that we haven't quite adapted in our game is to be playing balls over the top, which they like relished in. 
yesterday. Um, you know, <laughs> Deitchball, as I like to call it, uh, very, yeah. you know, route one kind of thing. And that's something that maybe Mikel can take from that game because we, we've all kind of applauded the attractive nature of playing the ball on the grass across the floor um, in between lines. But when you're up against a, a tightly knit group of five really competent midfielders, where, like I said at the beginning, the wide midfielders are very quick and able to cut back players' fullbacks when we try and find Martinelli or Saka. Or you've got the middlemen who are really good at intercepting. And so when you're not getting your passes sharp and on the money, they're able to intercept and they're able to um, play a counter-attacking move. So, yeah, noticed immediately that the the Everton midfield shape was really, really good. Um, They were putting us under pressure. And um, it, it was affecting the fluidity of the way that we were trying to move the ball. Um, I've kind of felt a little bit sorry for Saka and Martinelli because you could you could tell that they were still very sharp. It wasn't as if um, you know they were having bad days or they weren't being able to generate the kind of energy that they usually do. They were performing at you know I guess arguably you could say at peak. Um, but just not being able to be effective enough. Um, and, you know, Mikalenko, is that it? Mikalenko um, yeah. and yeah. McNeil had done, you know, a fine job at keeping Saka quiet. And it wasn't until I think Mikalenko received his yellow card where things opened up a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that first half for me was very much just pure frustration because they had executed their game plan perfectly. But once you realise what they're doing, there has to be a plan B of, and I guess the plan B would be, well, we just play it direct. We get it in the feet of um, Odegaard, and Odegaard cuts the, you know, plays 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 a ball that cuts through the heart of the, the Everton midfield. Um, so that's plan B gone. But then there's, there's also plan C, which is switching flanks quickly. Um, so if the left side of the pitch is overloaded, then switch it to the right as quickly as possible. And then Saka's pace can, you know, beat um, anyone on his day. Um, also, that wasn't working. So then plan D for me would have been to play their game against them. Um, play that long ball over the top. Try and release the wingers as quickly as possible. Uh, a false sense of security by, I guess, pulling the Everton um, midfield into the heart of our defence before releasing. Uh, but that didn't seem to, to, to happen either. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much the the story of the first half. There was a moment where, I mean, we did have our opportunities, though. There were a handful. Um, Everton had th- quite a few opportunities as well. I think at one point they had like four corners at one, one time, which was quite worrying. Um, but mm-hmm. Eddie Nketiah did have an opportunity where Saka put him through on goal. There was a tussle with him and Mikalenko. He, he, he wins that duel. Saka then, uh, sorry, Nketiah takes a wild effort, goes high and wide. Um, and yeah, that was pretty much the only chance of that first half. I can't quite remember any other kind of clear-cut opportunity. Um, no, not in that first half. I mean, for me, I think the the two main... I guess the main frustration of the first half is that we didn't execute plan A very well, right? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, that's not taking anything away from Everton. I thought they were excellent against us, 
Daesh did an incredible job considering that he had a week to get them ready for this match and he had them playing at that level. Um, but the, I think the, the, the plan a for us, and you, you hit on, you hit on this a little bit where, you know, first of all, you had Saka up against Mikalinko and then you had Odegaard kind of making the underlapping run and drawing away Dwight McNeil and, you know, trying to create some space for him there, but there wasn't any overlapping run from yeah. White, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it should be said, White had a pretty, pretty poor game all around, and maybe that's maybe that's a discussion for, for for later about what to do about that. But White wasn't making those overlapping runs and opening up, opening up even more space for Saka and giving him that option to you know either pass it to Dwight at the byline for a cutback or you know to take advantage of that space as afforded him and cut in on his own either into the penalty box or cut into the half space on the right so that that kind of that helped Everton nullify Saka because you know there there just there weren't as many options it was a lot easier to double team on him and and you know shut him down that way and then with Martinelli I think the main issue is that you know, first of all, the the Arsenal Vision podcast. I think Tim. I think this was Tim Stillman in particular made a really good point about how and Martinelli's drop in form, so to speak, has kind of coincided with Jesus not being in the team. Mm. And I think that's absolutely right because you know, Nketiah just doesn't come out to the left and combine with Martinelli the way that Jesus did. But even on top of that, you know, I think a big part of our game plan involves. Martinelli staying high and wide to pin the opposing fullback, and that opens up the space for Zinchenko to tuck into midfield without this worry that, you know, someone's going to get into the acres of space behind Zinchenko when he does that. So Martinelli already is kind of naturally isolated, but, you know, we just didn't get the ball to him quick enough. We didn't switch the play fast enough. We were playing at a pretty slow tempo, uh, sorry, tempo, all things considered, and a lot of that has to do with quality of the pitch again. But, you know, we just didn't switch it to him enough. I, you know, I think also there there weren't enough kind of balls played into the half space, which is a point that um, uh, Rohan, Rohan Jivan made really well where, you know, there weren't enough of those back post half space balls to Martinelli to, to get on to. And um, yeah, just, you know, we didn't really... We didn't really play our game effectively in the first half. And so there was a lot of sterile possession and a lot of, you know, this this dreaded horseshoe that, you know, we were passing in because of the way Dyche had his team defending. And yeah, I think that's one of the more frustrating aspects of the match for me, which is we just didn't play at the level that we normally do. And if we had, you know, we might be we might be looking at a different result here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the um, white analysis because um, I did want to speak about him in the second half um, as well as uh, Zinchenko as well. And actually what was one of the, the, the stark differences of that performance compared to the other performances was the overlapping runs that were just non-existent. Um, white wasn't great. You're absolutely right. Uh, he wasn't making those overlapping runs, but also it was very flat and it was almost too casual. And there was, um, there was a moment where he tries to play a pass to Odegaard. They just weren't in sync. 
the pass was misplaced. Anana makes a you know storming run down the left hand side, places a low ball across the face of goal, and it was begging for a touch from Calvert Lewin. It was actually one of their best opportunities of that first half. Um, and yeah, yeah, we were spending far too long with the ball, and, and and actually the reason why we've been so good is because we're able to release the ball instantly, almost before receiving the ball, knowing where to you know place it. Um, and that just wasn't happening. It just, I mean, maybe it was a case of, you know, the pitch being in bad condition, but um, it just seemed to be a lag, you know, half second lag. Um, but there was a, a, a chance, actually, I do remember near the end of that half where an incredible ball came into the box from Zinchenko, a, a rare one as well, because he's not really found that high up in the pitch. Um, but it finds Saka at the far post. He hits it first time. The ball is kind of gliding its way into the net, but then it was cleared by Cody. Um, and I guess in that final 10 minutes of that first half, we were having a brighter spell in the game, plenty of possession, but just not being able to find our way through. Um, and yeah, very sh- we're very lucky actually not to have conceded because there was another really, really close opportunity for Calvert-Lewin to... Um, open the scoreline after Coleman put in a cross in the near post. Gliding header just goes wide. So um, I, I, I very much felt like unless our, our fullbacks overloaded, it was very difficult for Martinelli and Saka to do much up against two men. Um, and so, you know, yeah. maybe, it, I mean, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but maybe a decision could have been made at halftime that we're going to make a change. Either White or Zinchenko comes off and we put someone on um i would have i mean that game was begging for kieran Tierney to come off the bench um even halfway through the second half put him on that left hand side fine you know it's a risk because you're leaving yourself empty but you know that in the latter stages of that second half everton had put their you know they pulled their foot off the gas a little bit having you know scored that goal and with um michelenko receiving a yellow card Coleman on on the on the up on the opposite side giving Martinelli the space and time had someone like Kieran come on maybe converting a few more opportunities a goal would have come um but the, the same story kind of was replicated in the second half I expected very much Arsenal to come out and control the game a little bit more um play at our kind of pace and speed rather than allowing them to almost bully us. But almost immediately, um, Gay had a chance with a shot, which was saved by Ramsdale. I don't know whether it was a deflected shot. I did watch it a few times over on, a, you know, on a few different angles, but it did seem like a straightforward shot. Do you know which one I'm talking about? The very first one. It was like a very awkward kind of save from Ramsdale. Um, but they were they were piling the pressure on almost immediately. And... Um, yeah, there was, um, before the Tarkovsky goal, there was a chance from Nketiah with a lovely run down the left-hand side, dribbled past two, um, Everton shirts. It wasn't Nketiah, but Nketiah created the opportunity, puts a low, lovely low ball into the box for Odegaard, a wild shot that flies over. Um, I guess that was a theme of the day, really. Lots of wild efforts. There was a lack of composure. And then the dreaded two substitutions happened. I want to talk about these changes because I think this game was, um, and Elliot mentioned it on the um, Arsenal Vision podcast today or whenever they recorded it, but um, I did see it today, uh, that the substitutions were, not to say they were strange, but unusual. Um, 
taken off Thomas Partey at a very crucial moment in the game. I guess we can understand why. But to bring off Martinelli as well, um, you know, like I said, hindsight, it's great to look back. But when you're when you're watching that game at that moment in time, you're thinking Trossard coming on isn't such a bad thing. Um, what do you, how do you assess the changes made in the 58th minute? Too early? Yeah, I think... Because it uh, seems too early to me. No, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I think Arteta made mistakes with, with the substitutions. I with, with Party coming off for Jorginho, I mean, I have to wonder if that was a, pre, a pre-planned sub, if Party maybe was expressing some discomfort with this rib injury that he suffered against City. But it, it, it just kind of... Obviously, it lowered the diamond, the dynamism uh, of of our midfield, and I don't think I think Jorginho was fine. I went back and watched his performance. You know, the, you know those clips that go around of just um, just like two minutes of like mm. what they did on the ball. I, I think he looked fine. There are a, you know a couple misplaced passes, but generally he was pretty press resistant. Took care of the ball recycled possession pretty well played some progressive passes you know decent enough uh debut for the club but yeah putting putting him on was i'm not sure it was the right move because you know he's not really the kind of guy who takes the game to the opposition the way party does Jorginho strikes me as more of a closer more of the guy that you put on when you have the lead and he just mm. helps you control possession and to the point where you're suffocating the match a little bit right that's what that's why i thought arteta wanted with him so i don't know why Jorginho came on when he did i don't think he had anything to do with us conceding but so that one was interesting and then trossard came on for martinelli which in 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 itself you know that's that's fine that that kind of is the change i would have made but the problem with bringing trossard on for Martinelli in just kind of like a straight swap situation is that they're not the same player, right? Martinelli very much is a touchline winger who will either get to the byline and cut back or will kind of try to do like a straight line dribble into the box to fire on his right foot. Trossard's more of an an interior winger, right? And so he's going to occupy kind of that half space where maybe Xhaka would be, right? And so he's going to, play inside like that, go on to his right. Obviously, you know, he's he's very um, two-footed, very technical. So he can, you know, he can get to the, by, the byline as well and cross in. He can uh, cut in, shoot on his right as well. But he's just more of an interior operator than Martinelli is. He's less about beating the, beating the, the fullback per se as he is about just getting inside the box and causing havoc. So... When you do that, you need to you need to have an overlapping fullback. And Zinchenko stayed tucking in, which you know is fine. I love Zinchenko doing that. But the problem is we weren't really adequately using that left wing, right? So I think that's why a tyranny substitution would have made a lot of difference, right? And what what I would have done if I was in Arteta's shoes is I would have subbed off Xhaka for Tierney and then had Zinchenko playing in that position. 
and you know obviously he's less of an eight and more of kind of a double pivot with Jorginho maybe slightly ahead of him but helping to pull the strings and then Tyranny's just bombing up the left wing and combining with Trussard and you know just just pulling pulling that attention off Trussard because I think if as we saw against Everton if you just sub on Trussard then it's just more uh double marking more kind of congesting the 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 left half space and generally preventing Trussard from operating. So yeah, I thought I thought those are some interesting changes and I think Mikel just kind of pulled the trigger too early yeah. when, you know, things weren't going smoothly. Um but I I think Tomiyasu coming on for White later was probably the right thing to do. Maybe that is a substitution that he should have made at the 60th minute. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it was kind of an off day generally for Arteta in terms of his substitutions. Yeah, because I mean, look, even before Tarkovsky scored, I know I mentioned at the very beginning stages of the second half, Everton were all over us, but then we, we, we calmed things down a little bit and we had a really good spell. And actually, before they scored the goal, I felt like we were very much in control and um, close to unlocking the uh, Everton defense and and you know maybe getting ourselves a good few opportunities to test uh the goalkeeper but making those changes and i'm not saying those changes resulted to the goal but the goal it's the goal itself was you know the moment it kind of changed for them um it gave them that i guess extra um added boost of high intensity energy uh, especially with the crowd as well any complaints about the goal itself No, not other than having not, not really. Odegaard marking Tarkovsky of all people. Yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting. I, I think Nicholas Yover has been so good with our set pieces this year that you know I while I wonder what the point of that was, I I also don't want to um, to question a man for one mistake who's who's done so well for us this season. But yeah, it was interesting. You know, I that strikes me as maybe someone that Gabrielle should have been on or maybe Saliba or 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 White. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. But I mean, but it was it was generally, a great ball that just, came into the box, very deep and in in an area where yeah. there were four or five, you know, shirts. Uh, it looks a bit, you know, chaotic. Um so yeah, it was very good delivery and yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I think it kind of had been coming as well, because I think Everton Everton very much had been winning the physical battle throughout the match, and I think that was kind of the culmination of it, where they just fired in a really nice delivery, and and then, you know, Tarkowski and the others just kind of out-muscled our players and got to the ball first and put it in the back of the net. Hmm. Um, they make their golden substitution the joker in disguise which is neil mope (laughs) he comes (laughs) on and he literally unleashes utter um havoc (laughs) on the arsenal players starting off with granite shako who has a tussle with uh, a bit of pushing and shoving going on between the two players and um well before we before we discuss mope and Everton in the last 10-15 minutes at, at what point did you realize that this is probably not going to be our day and we'll probably 
leave without any points? Probably around the 80th minute. I, I think I think at that point I'd kind of been waiting to see a spark from them, from from Arsenal, and it it just wasn't really coming. And or actually, you know, when when did Odegaard miss that shot? Um. Oh, that was a great opportunity. Um. Yeah, I can't remember quite that. Enough. That probably was the moment for me when when Enkedia did this really nice Gabriel Jesus esque run beat a couple defenders, put the ball on a plate for Odegaard to at least put on target. Believe it or not, that was very early on in the... Oh, it wasn't very early on, but it was... I think it was just... It was before the Everton goal. And it was. I think it was just before we made the subs um, was when Odegaard had that attempt. Okay, yeah. So pretty, so pretty early on for me then. But... <laughs> Uh, I'll put it to you like this: it, it, it was when I kind, of, it was when I realized that we're probably not going to win. Mm. Um, when Enkedia put that ball on a plate for for Odegaard, and I, I think he scored a goal like that earlier against Bournemouth from a similar position, and just to see him sky it the way he did, you know. And I think that was the second or third time that we'd done that. That that kind of was the point that I realized, okay, we're not we're not gonna come up with anything that's gonna beat them today. So now just don't lose. It was was the thought I had it in my head. And then I guess the point at which I realized that we were going to take the L today was that moment when Zinchenko got into a tussle with with Mope. Yeah. Because I think I think Zinchenko the 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 only thing the only thing more frustrating than having a bad day is having five months of good days and then having a bad day. And I think Zinchenko very much, you know, cause he's, he's basically one of us on the pitch, except with, you know, probably some of the best technical ability in the world. So, you know, Zinchenko probably had been really riding a high entering this match and just to see things go not not his way for the full 90 minutes to see how frustratingly poor we were i think that definitely got to him and then for mope to come on and just shit house and run out the rest of the clock i think that was that was the boiling point for him especially you know when mope basically tried to pull a wwe move on Zinchenko <laughs> it and was throw them back it was quite a sight wasn't it <laughs> That, that's a red card, dude. Like if Shaka, if, if yeah. Shaka did that, he'd be in a Siberian prison right now. <laughs> and you know, just see Mope did that, do that, and then he had both of his David, arms David, around the guy. Right? It wasn't as if yeah. it was a very subtle kind of shirt pull. He had both of his arms locked on and pulled that's, him down. That's a fifteen-yard penalty in the NFL. Yeah, that's a horse collar tackle. And yeah, to see David Coot which is a dumb last name, by the way. <laughs> but to see David Coote give both uh, oh both players God. a yellow card. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 was, that was kind of the point. And then, you know, Zinchenko just got in his face a little bit, which rightly so. I don't begrudge yeah. him that. But just to see Zinchenko, you know, get just extremely flustered and get in Mopé's face, that was kind of the moment where I realized, okay, even, even the four-time Premier League winner on the team is is losing his composure a little bit. It's mm. 
you know, let's just let's just mentally prepare for this to be zero points and we move on with our with our season. I think that was that was kind of um, when I hit that point. Yeah. To be fair to the boys, though, in the last 15 minutes, there were there were a good few opportunities. We kept on going. Trossard had a good few chances. And um, actually, he was one of the bright lights that came off the bench. He had a shot which was saved against Pickford. There was another chance where really nice ball um, comes into the box by Shaka and um, Saka picks up the ball. Uh, he picks it up at the back post, snatches at a shot that goes over. And there's another chance from Trossard uh, with which he kind of rushes, uh, tries to curl it, but ends up kind of rushing the shot and it goes high and wide. Um, just on, I guess, the topic of conduct, I'm not one to discuss, you know, other teams like behavior and the way that um, clubs, I guess, behave and uh, carry themselves. But I... <laughs> And I hate to do this, but I really felt like in the last 10 minutes of that game, Everton really exposed themselves as a really shitty club um, for the way that they were kind of wasting time. They're, they're, I, I'm, I'm all for, um, quote unquote, winning the game in the way that you need to do it. I mean, if it was Arsenal on the other hand, I would want our boys to do, you know, as, as much as they could to, to, to run that clock down. But certain things that I just, it just doesn't, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And <laughs> I um, shamelessly made a list of some of the things that I didn't really like in the in the final 10 minutes or so of the game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> starts with Mope kicking the ball away. Then yep. Pickford picking up a yellow card for the goal kick, which is fine. Like, I'm happy with that. Um, but it gets ugly when like fans start to get involved and ball boys start, um, you know, behaving in a weird kind of way, like fans not giving the ball back to Zinchenko, the ball boy, the ball boy then throwing a second ball onto the pitch, Mope grabbing Zinchenko and pulling him down, uh, and then Everton players all you know running onto the pitch and exacerbating the situation. It'll be really interesting to see how the FA um, react to this, and I guess that's the main reason why I wanted to make a note of this and mention this because we have been penalised for the dumbest of offences. I mean, the FA Cup one stands out for me and I'm still questioning what it was that we did that was so bad, um, which, which you know, deserved that kind of punishment. But um, yeah, that final 10 minutes of that game, I, I wasn't really pleased to see Everton as a club because, you know, with the fans, the ball boy and players on the pitch, the way that they all collectively um, behaved, I felt it was quite unsportsmanlike. Like, you know, run the ball down the line near the corner flag, hold it for as long as you want, whatever. Um, you know, take an extra few seconds with your set pieces. Fine. T take a yellow card for the team if you have to. Um, but yeah, just those other things I don't like. I don't like that being part of the game. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's my little two-minute rant <laughs> about Everton over. Yeah, I mean... You know, if, if if the players are doing stuff like that to run the clock down to an extent, it's fine with me. You know, that's just part of the game. That's gamesmanship. But when you start getting the ball boys in on it, you know, that's mm, as the FA would put it, that is. Yeah. Yeah. And also that's that's technically, you know, failure to um, ensure that the club and its fans operate in a calm or respectful manner or whatever. Uh, whatever garbage they <laughs> they des they describe that as, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's. I don't think the FA are going to do anything about it. I think our charge is retaliation for Arteta's comments, which oh, right. okay. you know is which is concerning on its own. You shouldn't have governing bodies retaliating because they got in their feelings about someone um, <laughs> throwing a comment your way. Yeah, but that's that's neither here nor there. I mean, the the FA aren't you know the 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 officials aren't going to help us out. I think that's that's pretty clear at this point in the season. Obviously. You know, I don't think they're against us or anything there because there have been a, a few situations where we've gotten some pretty interesting calls our way. Mm. But but yeah, it's it's not like them to to do us a favor on a regular basis. So, you know, Everton did, did what they needed to do. And um, I don't think that's why we lost. I, I I think we we could and should have played better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess in every in every title winning I, I i would put it in quotations title winning um teams there are games aren't there where you end up losing where you really shouldn't but it just happens um with liverpool's invincible season losing to watford um with city losing 3-0 to some other team that they shouldn't have i believe it was palace so we're going to let this one slide, especially because Spurs have done the unthinkable. Um, how, how does this defeat right now, knowing that, you know, Spurs have beaten City, we're basically where we were on Friday, Friday evening, and we've played a game more, um, so there's, you know, less games to play. I mean, or, or, sorry, were, were you asking how we approach Brentford? Um. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Mainly just. Sorry, like, could you could you re- could could you repeat the question? <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It was just mainly just like how how are you, how are you um how are you looking at this defeat now, knowing that we played one extra game and it doesn't really make a difference because we're basically where we were on Friday evening. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's 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 a it's a free learning experience at this point. Because we we lost and we we learned about some weak points in our game and some ways in which opposition can set up to potentially overcome us and defeat us. But thanks to Spurs, you know, that doesn't come at the expense of City putting a good dent in our cushion at the top of the table, right? We're still five points ahead. City still have a game in or sorry, we still have a game in hand. So now we get to go into the film room and get on the training pitch with less pressure, right? And I think that's another thing. I think that's going to be a positive for kind of our mentals going into the Brentford match where we're in the exact same situation we we were in before, but you know, that's it's all good. No harm, no foul, just you know, let's let's play our let's play our football right this time. Let's let's not underplay the passes. Let's overlap for our wingers. Let's uh, switch the play a little bit quicker. Let's play with more urgency and more tempo. Let's win the duels, right? I'm sure that's something that Arteta was telling them. And, you know, I, I do I do want to point out that the first thing he said after the match was, you know, I love my players even more than I did mm. before, and I'm going to love them more. And they've, they've, they've earned that. They deserve that. And I hope the fans do that as well, right? He didn't throw his players under the bus. He didn't say, how could we lose to 19th placed Everton? You know, he, he, I think he said the perfect thing after the match. So 
I think the players are going to feel supported. I think, you know, there's there's going to be a collective sigh of relief at Colney tomorrow morning. But also, I think they all recognize that they they did things wrong. And now the pressure is, you know, there isn't this crazy pressure on them to get it right in the next game. But now they want to get it right. And I think that's the important thing to to want to play better without necessarily having this idea in your head where if you don't play better, then uh, you've thrown, you've thrown it away. Right. So yeah, I think, I think we're in a really good position going to Brent or sorry, having Brentford come to us on Saturday. And I think the nice thing about Brentford is they're going to play us, right? They're not, I don't see them coming and, and playing a low block. Obviously they might play a little bit more conservatively, but I think they're still going to come at us. They're still going to try to beat us by actually playing football. And naturally, because of that, there will be space for us to exploit. There there will be opportunities for us to play on the transition. And, you know, then, then it becomes more of a contest of just who's better. And I think we're a better team than them. So I'm, I'm pretty confident going into Saturday. Yeah, well, we'll be, we'll be speaking a lot more about Saturday um, in the midweek. So stay tuned for that midweek podcast. Um, I'm going to leave it there because uh, I know you've got things to do. So first of all, thank you very much for joining me uh, this evening. And thank you to you guys who have been listening up until this point. Thank you very much. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of this episode by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at AskTherapyPod. You can also find Sham over there at Dope Guna. <coughs> Sorry. Um, give him a follow. You can find me over there as well at Gunnarsense96. Let us know what you thought. If you have um, any opinions that you know differ from ours, if we said anything that robbed you up the wrong way, let us know. Um, but yeah, as I said, <laughs> we will be back in a midweek special, we do have a very special guest. Um, I don't know if you caught it at the beginning. Andrew from Askcast will be joining us. Fingers crossed, all but confirmed. So yeah, I don't know what, what we're going to be speaking about, but seeing as I've caught him, it's really difficult to catch him at a good time. I thought, um, let's schedule that in. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back then. But up until then, um, have yourselves a good week. Take care of yourselves. And hopefully we will speak to you then. Uh, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you.